That's one small step for man, one giant leap for womankind. Talking Townswomen. For those of you who don't know about Townswomen's Guilds, we're a female membership organisation with groups known as guilds across the United Kingdom. Townswomen's Guilds was established in 1929 and our ancestors were suffragists who fought to change the world for a better life for women. So we proudly still keep up the fight and campaign to help improve the lives of women. Welcome to episode 10 of Talking Townswomen. Ten episodes in and quite a lot has changed in the world during that time. For episode 10 today we have Penny, Alice and Helena. Today's topic is all education, discussing the paths we've taken, the highs, the lows, the choices we made and perhaps a few of the things we've learnt along the way. There's quite an age gap between us all today. Some of us graduated a lot longer ago than others. It's important to point out that at the time of recording, students across the country are going through a very different university experience due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, so hello from me. And I'd like to introduce you to the people who have joined us today. Uh, I'm Beryl. I go to Arnold Evening Guild, on, which is on the edge of Nottingham, and I'm one of the trustees. We've also got with us today Alice. Um, and Alice, would you like to tell us about who you are and what you're doing at the moment? Yes, I'm a second year PhD student at the University of Hull. Um, I joined the university in 2015 doing my undergraduate degree and I've just stayed on. I've done my master's there and now I'm working towards my PhD. So in other words, you're going to be an eternal student. <laughs> yeah, if I could try, I would. <laughs> I think that sounds like a good idea. We've also got Penny with us. Hello, Penny. Hello. How are you doing today? Um I'm the chairman of TG and involved with two guilds in the Croydon Federation. We are also joined today by Helena. Hello, Helena. Good morning, Beryl. So the first thing to say is we all went to university and it'd be interesting to know what we studied and why we went, because not everybody does go. So shall we start with, with the person who's actually got the closest contact at the moment which is Alice so what made you want to go to university and study what you're studying? Um, well I have an, a love and a passion for music and um, I really just wanted to you know study it further with like-minded people and really explore um, my subject further. And um, Why did you choose to go to Hull? Well, when I went and looked around all the different unis, I fell in love with Hull. I think it's a really nice campus, but everyone is so lovely here. And I think Hull Uni puts a real emphasis on care for their students, which was really important to me. Um, I know that like if you um, are feeling, you know, upset or anything or worried about anything, you can usually see a member of staff within 12 hours or so to have a conversation about your health and well-being, which I think is really fantastic. 
and that's particularly important at the moment as well with yeah, definitely the, um the very different experience students are having now yeah. how about you helena uh, I went to uh, Manchester Metropolitan. I studied event management there. I graduated in 2012, I think. So a little while ago now. Um, but yeah, it was the same as Alice just said for me. I chose to go to Manchester having visited um, and absolutely loved the city. And in terms of choice of where I studied, it is certainly I certainly made the right decision on that front. Even going back since you know I still have the same love for the city and it was definitely a great place to study. Oh that's great um how about you Penny? Well this I, this was back in the mid 70s and it still wasn't that common for women to go to well for anybody to go to university it was becoming more common I was the first person in my family to go originally it was thought that I would study maths but my parents weren't particularly keen because they didn't see a direct career path for somebody reading maths as a degree. And I was very fortunate. I was the only person doing applied maths at school. And then the teacher said to me, well, look, what you could do is go and study civil engineering or accountancy. Not a lot of difference between those two. <laughs> So, you know, I looked into civil engineering and there were so few women. I was uncomfortable at the thought of it. You know, the, I, I decided I wanted to go to Southampton. And when I looked at the engineering faculty there, there were 998 men and two women in the faculty. So I thought that was it would have been good from some perspectives, but I came from a girls' school, so it was a bit intimidating. Um, however, I then decided on accountancy and law. I wasn't wasn't sure about remaining within accountancy. I wanted to keep all my options open. So I graduated in 1977. Um, for, that's for my first degree. But then I went on and did an OU degree many, many years later and did a master's in education management, which was absolutely fascinating for somebody who didn't actually work in education, but was a school governor and wanted to know more. That sounds a very interesting qualification. And it brings on to me, um, I have always been involved in education. And my career's advice was to be told I was coming to Nottingham, because it was the best place to come at the time. Uh, and I did what I was told. And we're very fortunate in Nottingham that we have two universities. And I've actually never really left because I went, I've been to both to do all sorts of courses and certificates and diplomas and all sorts. And I'm still involved with Trent University doing student support. So uh, I came to Nottingham and uh, intended to stay for three years and I haven't actually managed to get away yet. Uh, but I'm very glad that I actually came here. A lot of people now don't choose to go to university because of the cost involved. A friend's son is in Brighton and he is really struggling for money and having to work as many hours as he can to pay for it. 
with the change that's occurred, because I, I had all my tuition free. Yeah, me too. Would you still go ahead and choose to do the same thing? Or would you look at doing a, a vocational course or going into a job and getting a qualification through that? Would you change your mind? Um, it's a hard one for me. I think I I learned a lot at university. It certainly set me up for the first few years, at least after university. And I studied something that I had a passion for and still do have a passion for and in terms of event management and um I I spent my summers for example um working backstage at festivals and things like that and it certainly was something that I I knew I wanted to have a career in um however as much as the degree itself was incredibly interesting and um obviously the actual university experience aside I don't think I necessarily needed that degree to be able to do what I've done. I wouldn't say that it has, that it's the sort of degree that I would say to people, you definitely need it to be able to have a career in it. And some of the things that I've been able to do haven't necessarily been down to having that degree. But I do think that going and doing the degree opened my eyes to a lot of things and probably grew my knowledge on not just the things that I was studying at the time um but the the wider experience I think I would still want to do the same thing um there isn't there isn't something that I have since gone oh I really wish I'd done that instead other than I mean given that my job now currently sits mainly in a marketing role rather than event management um I think that would be the only other thing that I would say I would prefer to have done um but the actual experience and everything that I did I wouldn't I wouldn't change it no I think um it's shaped me as a person doing what I did definitely yeah how about you Penny because we said you know you had this opportunity to do a different course would you do that now I think at times I've thought, well, I do wish I'd done a maths degree. But then again, when I think about it, I think, would I really have enjoyed just doing maths? So it it, it is a bit difficult. It was at a time when accountancy and law was becoming an all-graduate profession. They'd gone from basically taking people straight from O-levels, as they were in those days, and lengthy indentures um, to being this graduate profession. I did have some advantages by having a relative, a, a relevant degree that I didn't have to go through a hoop of graduate conversion. But then, on the other hand, looking back in retrospect, accountancy is a bit of a boring topic at times. <laughs> Um, the law side was interesting, but it wasn't well enough developed. But it gave me skills that I've been able to use in much later life. I, I'm glad I didn't go into civil engineering. I just would not have coped with cold mornings on building sites. No, no, I can agree with you on that one. And I must say, I wouldn't have changed what I've done. But I welcome the fact that universities and the Open University offer you the chance to study throughout your life mm. and I think that means that you can slightly change pathways more easily 
because yeah. you do have those opportunities. Alice, you're still enjoying your music. <laughs> yes. So you wouldn't have wanted to do anything else? No, I'm really happy with the, you know, the choices I've made to stay on and everything. That's really good. Um, now, talking about being at university, it's obviously very different to school. Yes. And I just wonder if anybody can remember what it felt like on the first day when you were suddenly there and away from everything that you knew and away from your family, which could have been a good thing in some ways. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, my my first, um, in fact, actually, in the run-up to starting, my halls changed. So right. everything that I had, you know, planned in terms of knowing, okay, that's where I'm going to go. I remember visiting it, you know, in the days where you could uh, go and visit in it before you started and got shown around. And then all of a sudden I was, my mum and dad dropped me off somewhere. I'd never, I'd never been to those halls before. Um, there was something to do with they'd oversubscribed the rooms, so they had to move people. Um, and it turned out that those halls were actually a lot nicer. So it was lovely, but the initial walking up and then there was these massive escalators going up and it, it was, I remember my dad just standing at the bottom and being like, okay, then off you go, jokingly saying, oh, I'm just going to leave you here. They obviously took me up to my room and we got settled and whatever. But I do remember the moment that they said, okay, we're going to we're gonna get back in the car now. And you, I was the first one in my halls to arrive in my right. flat. So I was just stood there thinking, right, what do I do now? Yeah. Um, it was quite daunting. Um and it was it was a good few hours before anybody else turned up, so I sort of just sat there thinking, "Well, oh, do I go and look round? Do what do I do? I unpacked, and yeah, it, daunting. I and I don't think many people wouldn't feel daunted by it. You know, you're in a new place, and you're in somewhere that you, even if you've visited before, it's not home until you've stepped in there as it be as it being your your home for that year, have you? So, yeah. so mm -hmm. yeah. But, do you think it was a good idea that you actually went into that sort of accommodation rather than a flat somewhere? Um, Did it help I mean, you have the support of other people around you? In... Um, I mean, I, I had my three years were very different in terms of accommodation because my first year it was in university halls, which yeah. was like broken down into little flats. So there were six of us in the first year, very mixed bag of people as well. It was because you obviously have no idea who you're going. You can't choose who you live with, can you, in first no. year? So, and then my second year we were in a house, and then third year I was in just regular residential. Um, rented flat me and, me and my best friend at university so we didn't we had very mixed years and I do think that the the year in the house and the year in a flat it felt more homely and I think that's the thing that I really missed in first year it didn't feel homely because it was in such a large um block of hundreds of and hundreds of people and I think if I had the choice I think yes I would have preferred to be in something that felt more like home than yeah. um it, it I think because your first year is quite forced isn't it so you kind of don't have as much choice in that but I think yeah I would definitely have preferred something that was 
a little bit softer. That's probably yeah. the best way. It's all quite um, structured first year, isn't it? So yes, it is. Yeah, I would. Something more homely would have been nice for me. Yeah, uh, we were very lucky in that we had to be on campus, but they, we had groups of ten rooms and a common room, and so it did feel quite homely and I was also very lucky in that as I was unloading my things this girl came along and her suitcase flew open and everything came out of it and so myself and my mum and dad were helping her to get it all back to the case and into her room so I knew somebody from stepping into the building and I must say we're still friends now all these years later on which is good Uh, and I did like the fact that I was with a group of people, um, although we were organised alphabetically. And so I only ever really made friends at first with people who had names beginning with W, because I was a woods in those days. Yeah, how about you, Penny? Well, I hadn't actually visited the university for interview or to look around. There were no open days that I could get to. I'd I'd spent a lot of time in the previous year being ill, so I missed out on a lot of things. My parents didn't drive, so I I had to get up to Euston to catch a coach that would take me down to the university. It was run by the Students' Union. Um, And I managed to talk to somebody on the coach, but I knew absolutely nobody. Um, The girl I'd been talking to on the coach was in a different hall. Um, I was in an all-girls hall in a beautiful building. It was very, very modern uh, at the time, but no ensuite facilities or anything remotely like that. Um, the, The bathrooms had... Uh, little cubicles for the for your hand basin um with curtains across them and you your ba- if you wanted a bath they were again cubby holes this time with a lock though on the door which was a blessing um this th- this was fine i was i was lucky because i spent the middle year in a flat in the red light district of Southampton. Now that wasn't the lucky bit, I have to say, but it it did give me an introduction to the town a bit more. And the final year I was back in hall again. But in that final year, we'd turned to a mixed hall. And I was very worried about the fact that the facilities still hadn't changed. So you, you didn't really want to have a strip wash at the wash basin, because anybody could come along and see you through the curtain. So that 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 was that was one unnerving thing about it, but it it did seem strange. It was a catered hall, so one of the advantages was that, you know, you you queued up to go in and then you filled tables as you arrived. So you did get to meet different people at different meal times, but it I'd not been away to school, so it felt somewhat alienated, and an awful lot of people who were with me there had been at boarding school at the time so it 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 was quite a quite a strange experience but then living in a flat with three girls I'd only met through the the accommodation service was quite a strange experience as well it it was a very 
run-down flat. There was mould on the bathroom walls, a fixed meter, so it ran out very, very quickly. So you you would spend a lot of your day when you were studying in bed, so that you could keep warm. <laughs> um, uh, there were huge gaps under doors. You know, the front door to the street and the back door. You you did everything you could to put um, block draft excluders down, but then there was a sort of leaking gas situation. So. If you put the draft excluder down in the kitchen, you couldn't have the gas on. It it was an interesting experience, but um, it was probably not the best, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it sounds um, a bit like a situation comedy, doesn't it? Oh, it was. It was definitely a situation. Yeah. And, and I can, but there were good times as well. Yeah. We made friends on our corridors. And in the final year when the college was was mixed, uh, I remember a Valentine's Day, which also happened to be Pancake Day. And I'd been, I was on the events team at, at college um, and we'd been, I'd been down staffing a Ralph McTell concert. Got back to discover that half the men in the college and half the women were gathered on our floor having a pancake party. And unfortunately, somebody had been cutting lemons and managed to cause an injury to themselves. I think they took off a slice of their finger. So there was it was like a bloodbath up the corridor. There was a trail of blood. I'd, I'd really missed something exciting that evening, obviously. So that was obviously a memorable moment for you. It was definitely a memorable moment. Yeah. I wasn't there for the whole of the action. They had saved me some pancakes, which was nice. Oh, that was good. Um, were there any memorable moments for you, Helena? I think, well, actually, the most memorable thing that happened whilst I was at university, I mean, there was two, really. The one that wasn't actually at the university, but I worked at, um, I worked at a hotel whilst working, whilst at university. And... Um, we had there was a fire and we all got evacuated. Um, so we had hours stood outside in foil blankets. And oh um, <laughs> it was I. I used to I worked there a lot while I was at uni. And um, my friends <laughs> were out um, on an evening out and came past while we were all wrapped in foil blankets in our staff uniform. <laughs> so oh. I much rather would have gone out that evening rather yeah. than um, being wrapped in a foil blanket in the middle yeah. of winter whilst the fire brigade. Um, had to put the fire out at the hotel but that that that's always stood in my mind and the picture comes round every year or so somebody finds it again and it yeah. gets shared which is always a good laugh um in our space blankets but the the main one actually for university part because I did an event management degree a lot of it was quite practical yeah. and we had to organize um in our final year, we had to organise an event for charity and the university had a lot of links with um, with charities that every year the students would um, be nominated for in their groups. So we were given um, Children's Adventure Farm Trust, which is up in Manchester area, and um, they um, asked us to organise, and ironically, it also has the theme of fire, thinking about it, a firewalk, so where you put the coals down on the floor and oh, people yeah, quite, quite literally walk across the fire. 
And I think, why have I been given such a dangerous thing to plan? But it was absolutely brilliant. And they had one of their patrons there, celebrity patrons and things like that. And it was it was such a fantastic evening that we obviously, it was a lot of hard work. But to see that come together and raise thousands and thousands of pounds for the charity that the university obviously had this link with was something that was quite... Um, well, it, we were very proud of it. Um, you know, it was a real life event that yeah. real people came to. It wasn't just for university students. People bought tickets to it and had, a, you know, had a go at this firewalking. And I think as a round off to your university years to do something like that, that, you know, the charity benefited from for the disabled children was was fantastic. That's mm. spectacular. Yeah, sounds yeah. great. Yeah. There's some brilliant photographs from it of people doing it, you know, and uh, yeah. you can't actually feel it when you walk on it either, which is, I, I thought, oh, it's going oh, to be really strange. But, yeah, they yeah. do like a mind over matter thing with you first. So, right. yeah, brilliant, brilliant event Excellent. to do. Yeah. How about you, Alice? What What are your standout moments? Um, I have a couple. I think one of my favourite memories was at the end of my first year, we had our end of year ball. And it was like a big carnival theme and they had carnival rides and it was a really nice chance for us all to kind of get together and celebrate having made it through our first year in one piece. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was really lovely. What was lovely. the other one? Oh, the uh, one very standout moment. Um, when we were in first year accommodation, obviously we were just uh, in a fat full of people we um, were put together with, we didn't know. And someone who started out with us was actually an ex-soldier who was also um, taking drugs quite regularly. And throughout the first semester, he became increasingly more kind of aggressive and paranoid towards all of us. And I just remember one night um, he'd obviously taken something and we ended up He'd come out with like a baseball bat and was being really aggressive with us. Oh, and we all God. locked ourselves in my bedroom and we rang security. And I just remember security saying, well, he probably can't kick your door down. It should be fine. <laughs> oh, my word. Wow, that is some memory. <laughs> yeah, he didn't come back for the second semester. Well, thank for that. <laughs> well, um, I've... <laughs> I've got quite a lot of outstanding memories, some of which I don't share. Um, <laughs> oh, go uh, on. <laughs> uh, well, as you know, I, I, I have quite an eventful time because life tends to happen to me. Um, when I went, we were 18, and at the time, you didn't become an adult till you were 21. So there were very strict rules about mixing. And there was a road down the middle of the campus and all the men's halls were one side and all the women's the other and you weren't supposed to mix and I remember we'd been out one night and we came back to find that the equivalent men's hall to us had emptied our common room and they'd put the carpet down and all the furniture from it on the grass outside. And we had to try to get it all back in before the porters came round because the porters would do security checks. And we'd have been in real trouble because we were out later than we were supposed to have been. And all the furniture and everything was on the grass outside where it shouldn't have been. That was a, a very much a standout moment for me. Uh, and. Another one was I went out with the head of the college rugby team, Sid, who was Welsh, and he had a tear in his rugby shorts 
And he said to me, would I put a patch on it? And I went, I'd love to put a patch on your shorts for you. So I got my sewing machine out and I got the fabric out and I put a patch on and went to watch him play the next game when the patch perforated on three sides, causing the patch to flap down. And unfortunately, this was on the back of the short. And that was the end of a wonderful relationship because he never spoke to me again. And it was very much learning about not patching old things with new fabric. Uh, so so that was that was quite a standout thing. Now, Alice, you've told us a horror story, really, <laughs> about what happened. Have you got any um, horror stories, Penny? Well, I don't know about horror stories. As I say, I was involved in the events team. And one of the things that we organised in 1976, which you'll remember was quite a hot summer, was a festival on our own campus. We had a beautiful campus. Um, There were natural, it was almost like natural amphitheatres and what have you. But it was very, very hot. And this festival was going on from one o'clock in the afternoon till midnight. Uh, I'd done the afternoon session, went back to my room in hall um, to have a bath and cool down and change and um, a few drops of alcohol uh, and then gone back for the evening. And during the course of the evening, I'd imbibed a few more drops of alcohol. So when it came to going home that evening, I really thought I was suffering from alcohol syndrome or, or being becoming an alcoholic because I kept naked men. <laughs> <laughs> it, it turned out that actually the other hall on the other side of the road, they issued a dare <laughs> for people to streak and do a circuit around <laughs> the, the north part of Northampton, streaking. And I, I can tell you, the temperature was about 26 at uh, midnight. It was a very warm. Um, so, I, you know, but having had these few drinks, uh, I really thought I was seeing things, and it, it was quite comforting. The next day when my roommate woke me up and said, did you see any of the streakers last night? But I realised it, it wasn't my imagination. Right. Um, really <laughs> a few other things, like when um, one of the boys slipped down the three steps outside the student union and broke his ankle. Um, And I volunteered to go in the ambulance with him to the local hospital because it was clearly broken. And the ambulance crashed on the way to the hospital. A car car came round a bend on the wrong side of the road. Um, And during the crash, I was swung round and somehow I managed to get a graze going right up my back but because I wasn't the original patient I was I was ignored at the hospital um and it was you know several days later that somebody actually looked at the back and said ouch but uh poor chap who who had broken his ankle had virtually been sent flying across the ambulance as well (laughs) they weren't the same sort of ambulances in those days anyway but um 
yeah, it was a that was a strange evening. Oh, well, it sounds it very memorable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about you, Helena? Oh, well, as similar to Alice, actually, was an unpopular person that happened to live in the room next door to me. Um, he he decided he wanted to grow certain substances, shall we say, um, right. in little little green substances in pots <laughs> in his yeah. bedroom, and um, he uh, he liked to have his music on a level that I can only describe as like festival. Yeah. sound system level um and uh that combined with um smoking these substances um mm. was a, was not the best combination and um he he was quite a interesting character uh, and it sounds like he'd come from um a background where he was in quite a he, he was told how he had to live his life, unfortunately. So, of course, he came to university and had all this freedom. Um, and that kind of took over. Um, our flat ended up being broken into a couple of times because oh, uh, people obviously knew that this was being grown in there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was um, that was not very pleasant. And uh, same as Alice said, uh, he didn't make it to second year. So we had to endure that for the best part of about nine months for no right. real benefit, really, which is a shame. Um, but, you know, we were fine. We got through it. Um, and, yeah, nobody had to deal with it afterwards. But that was quite an experience, having the police turn up at yeah. early yeah. hours of the morning when you've just moved away from home and things. Yeah, yeah it's a little bit scary. Yeah. Uh, that's sad. I mean, mine is quite a sad one in that um, one of the girls, one of the 10 of us became pregnant. And as I said, we were underage at that point and she had to leave. She wasn't allowed to actually continue uh, with the course that she was doing. And I always felt that was very sad that there wasn't any sort of accommodation made at that point for somebody who was in that position. And we all lost touch. And I, I often wonder whether she managed to go on and do a course and complete her qualifications and what she went on to do. But I thought at the time that was very sad. Uh, but of course, her boyfriend was able to continue and so there was a definite inequality in, in the whole thing with that. Uh, but it was certainly something you learned from it. Having been through everything you've been through, is there any advice you would give to your younger self now? If you saw yourself standing there ready to go, is there any advice you'd give yourself? Helena? I think particularly with first year, because it was a little bit tricky. I went home a lot in first year. I should probably point that out. I went home a lot in the first sort of six months because um, I found it quite hard living there until I was in the house with actual friends, I suppose we could put it as. Um, I think I would probably tell myself to be a little bit braver than I was and probably stand my ground a little bit more. The people that I ended up sharing with along with the this guy obviously that liked to grow his substances on his window ledge they were it was a very mixed bag of people that were quite pressuring um there was a little I wouldn't call it bullying but I would call it um it, it was difficult and yeah. I think I probably should have 
stood up for myself more and realised that um, it was only for a certain amount of time that I had to endure it. And whilst it whilst I felt better at the time going home at the weekends, I probably could have felt better by standing up for myself a bit more, which I've learned to do since then. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's something to take away from university is knowing who you are as a person. Um, but yeah, I think I would probably say to not give in too much to other people's pressures as yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. How, how about you, Alice? What would you say to your younger self going? I think I'd just say be more confident. I think I was very nervous going and very nervous speaking to people and things. And I think just realising that everyone is in exactly the same situation. Everyone's new. Everyone's trying to get to grips with everything going on. So just be more confident and talk to more people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I felt terribly underprepared. I had no idea what to expect about university learning. And I guess everybody is prob- has probably been in the same situation. I don't know whether things have improved, but you know, even the difference between tutorials, seminars and lectures and how much work I I ought to be doing on each each of the subjects um that we were studying. Um, I know I spent an awful lot of time in the law library, but that was because it was quite a nice place. You, you had you, you it, it was on uh, the edge of the Itchin Valley, and planes flying up to the to Southampton Airport were below your eye level when you were in the, wow. in the law library, and that was quite a pleasant experience. But I'm mm. not sure that really I got the most out of it intellectually as I could have done. Studying for the um, OU degree was a totally different experience and I did feel prepared for that. I'd done, I'd done a couple of undergraduate courses with them. I knew what was expected of me. We were given a lot of the materials that we were required to read, but we were also told how to get hold of wider reading because obviously you don't have a, a university library on your doorstep. And I think things have changed again for students. But it's, it, it, I do find, you know, this idea of you going out of one fairly regimented situation and then going into a university situation which has a different sort of regimentation, uh, I think that's quite a huge thing to expect people to do without adequate initial induction has has in has induction changed were you Alice were you aware of what was expected of you when you started at college yeah I think our induction was actually really great for uni I think the first few weeks they put very little pressure on actually getting any work done and it's all sort of introducing you to how everything's set up and laid out and how to access everything I thought it was really great and kind of preparing you I also felt really sort of underprepared going into uni but I think they did a lot to try and ease that transition well, that's good. It's a, a relief to hear that. Yeah, definitely. It's been funny, obviously, going from undergraduate to master's to PhD. I feel like every time I start one, it feels like all over again, I don't know quite what I'm doing. <laughs> and that's interesting because you stayed in the same place, haven't you? Yes. And, and you know, you sort of imagined that you would have felt more secure in that way. Yeah, I think, obviously, you know, 
doing my PhD induction last year, obviously I knew how the system worked. I knew how to get everything. But I think there is still that thing of being nervous about expectations and, and sort of the difference between being a, they call us researchers, not students anymore and that kind of thing. The, right. the different way you're expected to be treated and things as a, at different levels is interesting. Are you expected to take any teaching roles as well as a PhD student? Uh, not within not within music. I know others that are in different subjects, but not for me, no. That's good. Is that that must be quite an, another quite huge difference to to carry over from, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. In in my day, the undergraduates. Um, well, they were expected to use the student union building for their social lives. Those doing master's degree were allowed to use the senior common room, um, and as were PhDs, but the master's degree people had to get up and hand, uh, give up their seat if somebody senior to them came along. It, it, it was There was a sort of real class structure, if you like, about the, the way things were set up. I guess a lot of that will have vanished now. Yes, I think we all just kind of mingle all together these days uh, when we're sort of in the union or anything. Don't really pay attention to who's who's doing what kind of level of things. Mm. Well, that's good. Um, now, Alice, I know that you have done other things while you've been doing your courses because you've done some radio work, haven't you? Yes, I've been a volunteer radio presenter at our local hospital radio. So I do a radio show once a week. And then I've also had two part-time jobs the last couple of years. I I work with freshers. So not really this year with everything going on, but usually we run events for the freshers, um, which is always really fun. And we're kind of there to provide any support they need. So it's kind of means they've got someone who's not a member of staff that they can come talk to. That's really good. Uh, as I said, I work with students on student support. And so we will do things like mock interviews and help students to know how to walk in a room and how to sit down and how you need to look at the person you're talking to and things like that. And um, I was really pleased one day I was going on the tram and a girl stopped me and said, I think you interviewed me. And I said, oh, yes, I seem to remember. How is it going? And she said, it's going really well. And I've actually been for two interviews and I've been offered two jobs and I've now got to decide which ones to take. And she said, I'm sure it helped because you helped me with my confidence. And that's something I wish we had had when we were doing courses because we had nothing like that whatsoever. You were just expected to uh, automatically know how to do things and do them. Mm. How about you, Helena? Did did you have any sort of support with what you were doing and how to progress when you left? Yeah, so we were allocated mentors as well at Manchester Met. So um, I was really lucky that I had um, a lovely lady who um, had actually only just... Um, started as uh, a lecturer um she'd obviously done her did her um career in event management prior and she decided to train to then go on to be a lecturer so it was that i was in her first like batch of students that she was then mentoring in final year to sort of help progress and decide what you want to do and we we had similar we didn't do um, mock interviews but we did a lot of like um 
CV prep and how to like utilize the like uh, experience you'd had at university and things like that. But um, yeah, we've kept in touch. Lovely lady who she's still um, lecturing there now, and she's gone on um, to do all sorts of other wonderful qualifications as well. So she's she's quite inspirational in that sense as well. And she's, I think, being her first batch of students, um, we really benefited from that. She gave it her all, and I'm sure she still does now. But um, yeah we had a lot of support and a lot of communication after we left as well that's really good I mean because obviously for students at the moment it's a very different experience and something that towns women are looking at again is towns women student guilds we have started these before and we're looking at them again because it's something that students can do to join like-minded students online now so although they can't meet physically they can meet online now uh penny you've seen what we've been looking at with Mm -hmm. this is there anything you'd like to say about the student guilds well i think for for some people you know it's all very well saying oh well we've got a group of friends at university we're texting our friends and what have you but sometimes we need people that perhaps are not quite as close to us who we can share things with and can also help us develop various soft skills that we need for for life or just just to talk or even just to have fun and I think the program that has been worked out as an introduction for TSG does that by looking at um, you know really self-empowerment for students in a way that at the moment especially with the with all this lockdown and um I have to say, I feel terribly sorry for any student at the moment that's gone up uh, for the first time and found that they're in in lockdown and they may be in a, uh, a living situation as as we were with people we didn't know. It, it gives you a, a sort of comfort space in your your room to be able to contact other women who may be going through similar experiences or maybe have found solutions to the problems that you're facing. It's intended particularly to operate without barriers. So, you you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't remain in touch with somebody, uh, another girl that you would close friends with who's gone to a different university you could join a TSG together and retain that friendship but add to your experiences and share the experiences of now it's a difficult time and it's a way of finding just that little bit extra support that that you might need without having to go outside the confines of your bedroom or study room or whatever you want to call it. So we're hoping that this will be a great way for supporting students, Um, not with the old old fuddy-duddies stepping in and intervening, but we're here to support if we're needed. You know, Townswomen has got a history of campaigning to make women's lives better. So if we look at student guilds, 
we want to make the lives of those students and those around them better. And that, that may be by supporting them personally, but also of encouraging them to find out about the history of women's rights, to find out what needs changing now for women, and you know, to, to do to do things that will make a difference or plan things that will make a difference for when lockdown ends. Um, and we can all make small changes uh, to support other women, even from lockdown. Absolutely. And we still want them to have fun, which yes, is a big part of it. And we have a, a, a programme which we've suggested people might like to follow, which is doing things like going on a virtual roller coaster ride. And having looked at some of them, some of them are actually quite terrifying. Uh, and doing things like going on a on a walk, because there are so many interesting walks that you can follow online so that we're trying to say you can still have a wide range of experience when you can't actually physically experience things and again it's a way of starting conversations with people because I think that at the moment it's very difficult when you are so limited in how you mix to be able to have interesting conversations so I think that's an important part of it as well. Uh, there is information on the website about it and a, a, about what's involved. And it also tells you how to contact us to find out more about the student guilds. Can, can I just ask one more question yeah. from Alice? Alice, what is, what is your long-term aim Um with with the music are you going to be a a performer or a teacher or um something completely different i actually do research into like musicology which is like looking at the issues surrounding music so i'm actually focused on women in music Um, so i'm looking at uh impact of historical gender ideas on female instrumentalists um so at the moment my current thinking is i kind of want to go into advocating um, for women in music and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, I think that sounds fantastic. Perhaps you at some point would would be able to do a talk for us um, about women in music and the history of women because it's it's one yeah. of those really under um, underappreciated areas. I know that. Uh, the BBC has taken a big step of looking at black musicians recently. Mm. And I know that through the proms, women have been heard more recently, but we still have this huge gap out there in notable women in historic music. Um, And they got to be there. Yeah, I actually looked at that with my master's was looking at sort of historical uh, female musicians and why they've kind of been written out of history almost. Mm. And also the wives of, of male musicians who have been composers in their own right. Yes. But have not featured at all. And, and whether actually to... they wrote some of their husband's music for exactly. them. Exactly. <laughs> and some of those are quite shocking. Um yes. 
And perhaps, Alice, you might like to write a little bit for our magazine about this. Yeah, I'd love to. Because, mm. it, you know, we do look at interesting women and it's something that I've had mm. on the back burner for a while now. Yeah. I think it was Clara Schumann yes. was the one who I first thought of. Yeah. And it sounds as though you actually know what you're talking about rather than <laughs> research at all. I'm sure it would be very interesting for our members to find out about. Yeah, I'd really love to. It's something I'm really passionate about. That would be great. Thank you. And another uh, another point, if I may. Yeah. Um, I don't know that a lot of people realise that it was quite late, I think in the 1940s, before women at um, Oxford and Cambridge had their degrees recognised. We don't have a long history of women's higher education at all. So in a way, we're all still pioneers as we establish more and more senior roles throughout education as women and increase the participation. I mean, now it's at least 50-50, isn't it, most universities, the... The gender mix, um, and it's so so glad that that's happening. But when you think back to somebody like yeah, Millicent Garrett Fawcett, who was one of the founders of Girton College in the eighteen sixties, eighteen seventies. Yeah, you know, it, it men go back hundreds of years in academia. Women come late to the game, but that doesn't mean they're less capable. Look at people like Margaret Cavendish, for example. We've been capable all along, but we're only now getting recognition. And I think we can't can't not say about that aspect of education in in a podcast. And it would be really good if anybody's listening who would like to share their memories with us, We'd love to hear them. Well, I can certainly say that uh, when I first started to teach in 1972, I was not allowed to cohabit with my partner because if I did, I would be sacked. I either had to live by myself or I had to be married because it was considered that it wasn't respectable at that point for a teacher to be cohabiting. And that is not a million years ago. But we have a video that uh, we're going to show very soon, which is about TSG. And it actually does include these points about women and the fact that one of the universities didn't actually allow women to, I believe it was Cambridge, didn't allow women to have degrees until 1920. And again, that's really quite scandalous when you think about it. Uh, And so, again, I think from this point of view, TSG is something, Townsville Student Skills, something which can help women to, to think about this past in education and see how they can form the future for other women in education in years to come. Definitely. Well, that's 
all we have time for today. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. We certainly have. And I'd like to thank Helena, Penny and Alice for joining me and taking part today. Thank you very much, Penny. And bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you, Alice. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Helena. Bye. Goodbye. We'd encourage you to leave a review of our podcast via your podcast provider and also give us a five-star rating. If you haven't yet listened to our other episodes, there's nine more to enjoy. As always, if you'd like to find more about TG, please visit www.the-tg.com. You can also get in touch via our Facebook page, Talking Townswomen Podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of Talking Townswomen. So for anybody that would like to find out a little bit more about um, Townswomen Student Guilds and how to get involved online, uh, your best place to start looking would be facebook.com forward slash TS Guilds and we'll post some information on there about the new online guild.